Good morning. It's great to see everyone here this morning. It's an honor to be able to be here to share a message with you this morning in Bryce's absence. When he told me he was going to be out of town, he asked me if I'd be willing to step in, and I said, I think I would be happy to do that. And i got to be honest with you, I am a little nervous. This is the first time I've ever taught an actual formal sermon in the actual sanctuary. So it's a new experience for me, and I am a little nervous. Uh, it kind of reminds me, not too long ago, I was officiating my daughter's wedding ceremony, and I was telling one of my friends that I work with, I said, you know, I'm a little nervous about this. And he said, man, you got this. He said, you speak all the time. You, you're you're going to nail it. He said, and besides that, if you totally butcher the thing and ruin it all, just remember, you've got another daughter. <laughs> so, well, I guess that's comforting. And in a similar vein, told, uh, Bryce told me this week, he said, you know, listen, if, if you absolutely just demolish this thing and just make a mess out of, out of everything and the whole church is mad at you, I'm sure there are other churches in town that would be happy to have you. And then this morning, I'm walking out, I'm in the foyer, and then Bill Cash walks out, and uh, he said, all right, how you, how you feeling? I said, well, I'm a little nervous. And he said, oh, I know what you mean. He said, man, nothing is worse than speaking at church. He said, I've done bench trials, jury trials, and speaking at church just still scares the daylights out of me. But good luck with that. So thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Um, I have been powering up on behalf of the bacon ministry, so I am full of protein right now. So I'm feeling, feeling strong, powerful, and ready to go. Thank you, Dale, for uh, the bacon ministry contribution this morning. And I do feel like I have to start off with a bit of a disclaimer. I just want to let you know that anything that I say as far as my words, my thoughts, anything that I share with you this morning has not been vetted by the elders or the staff. So my views are not necessarily the views of the elders. So uh, I may no longer be an elder after today. I don't know. But uh, we'll see about that. But I just want to let you know that uh, anything I say is mine and mine alone. So if you're mad at anybody, don't be mad at the church. Don't be mad at the elders. Just be mad at me. I'm used to that. Well, some of you here know that I recently graduated from the Pepperdine University School of Law with a master's law degree in dispute resolution. And the program was all about alternative dispute resolution tactics and how to avoid the costly expenses involved with litigation by avoiding lawsuits and employing alternative methods of resolving conflict. Well, as part of that, I had a number of courses on negotiation, mediation, arbitration, conflict communication, and various approaches to helping resolve conflict. Well, while this education and, and this training has been tremendously beneficial and helpful to me, both in my personal as well as my business life, what I've found is that it's helped me tremendously as a Christian. And part of that is that by learning some of these strategies, these tactics, these approaches, it's helped me to in shaping the view of how I read the Bible. Because so much of what's in the Bible is not necessarily meant to be specific rules that we are to strictly adhere to and follow as much as they are approaches that we should take on how we should interpret, how we should apply, how we should implement the scriptures into our lives. And through my studies, I had to read a lot of books on how to effectively handle conflict, but I think some of, you know, obviously some of the books were more, you know, valuable than others, more interesting than others, but the, the book that has had the greatest impact on me in my conflict resolution training, oddly enough, is the Bible. And it's because of the way that I interpret a lot of how I read the Bible that I say, you know what, if you want to study case studies of conflict, look at the early church. 
And I guess I could probably expand that and say, don't just look at the early church, look at all church. And that's not to say anything bad about church. That's just to say that, you know, there's conflict here. We're always going to have conflict. We always will. And that's okay. The key is understanding how we deal with that conflict. So that's what I want to talk to us a little bit about today. But I want to talk to you in particular about how we view certain things. You know, when it comes to law, one of the first lessons I ever learned when I was in law school was early on, they taught us that they said, hey, we're not here to teach you the law. We're here to teach you how to think like a lawyer. Now, I don't know about you, but that actually sounds kind of scary. You know, some of you may be saying, we're going to teach you how to think like a lawyer. I'm not sure that I, that, uh, that sounds very good, and I certainly get that. But what they meant by that is that, hey, if we're just trying to memorize all a set of laws and just strictly adhere to those laws, good luck with that, because there are going to be circumstances, there are going to be situations that fall outside of what the specific scripture, specific law, script, whatever it may be, apply to. So what we need to understand is how do we apply that law? How do we interpret it? How do we implement that into our lives? And, you know, one of the things that, that I've found in dispute resolution is that the books never listed specific things to do. They never said, okay, this is how you handle it. They said, no, this is an approach that you could take. Well, guess what? Sometimes you try a certain approach and it doesn't work very well. So then we have to tweak that approach and say, okay, well, let's try a different angle. And then in certain circumstances, you're going to come up with solutions that are not intended to be general rules. They're intended to be specific solutions for a specific set of circumstances. And so many times in the Bible, it's the exact same way. You know, the Bible teaches us how we should interpret Scripture. It teaches us how we should apply that Scripture. It teaches us how we should approach conflict, how we should deal with each other. And the best example of how to do that comes from Jesus. Jesus did things a little bit differently. You know, basically, whether it's interpreting that scripture, applying it, implementing anything, or how we even do church, Jesus should be our example. That's where we should learn how to do everything. So my message today is that we need to be open to the idea of doing things differently. Jesus did things differently. We need to be like Jesus. Now, when it comes to doing things differently, I learned something from one of my professors through my LLM program, and I had a course called Mediation. And in that mediation course, it was taught by a judge from Brazil named Andre Goma. And I learned a lot of great strategies in that class, but there are two things that really stood out to me. The first is that he told us to focus not so much on our positions as much as interests. He said, if you're trying to get people to come around to a certain point of view and you're trying to accomplish your objectives, don't be so focused on digging in on specific positions that you're willing to die on that hill for. No, you need to be focused on the interest and how we can accomplish those interests. And the second thing that he talked to me about was that on the last day of class, he shared a story about a Hungarian physician named, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mispronounce the first name, but it's basically Ignaz Zimmelweis. Now, Ignaz Zimmelweis was a, as I said, a Hungarian physician, but he, he practiced medicine in Austria. And at the time, you have to understand, the late 1800s, medicine was a far cry from what it is today. Back in the 1800s, when you went into the hospital, you didn't know if you were coming back out. Today, we go to the doctor's office, we go to the hospital, we go in for procedures, we go in for surgery, and sometimes it's as routine as going to the grocery store. It's not that big a deal. 
That wasn't the case back in the 1800s. Back in the 1800s, there were all sorts of diseases. There was different types of technology, different types of medicine that was practiced. And in the particular hospital where Zimmelweis, Dr. Zimmelweis practiced medicine, there was a high mortality rate amongst mothers during childbirth. Because what would happen is that they would have postpartum infections, also known as childbirth fever. And because, that high, because of that, there was a high mortality rate, a lot of women were dying. So to combat this, Dr. Zimmelweis said, you know what, in order to get better results, we're gonna to have to do things a little bit differently. If we want different results, we've gotta do it differently. And he proposed something that at the time seemed absolutely crazy, outlandish. He had the audacity to suggest that the physicians and the attending staff, while during that childbirth, before they got into childbirth, they should do something crazy. They should wash their hands. I know, it's crazy. I mean, imagine the thought of having to wash your hands before you touch somebody's body and you touch internal organs, you touch all sorts of things. My goodness, how could we think about washing our hands? Now, that sounds crazy that people would object to that, but they did because it was contrary to the way that they'd been doing things for so long and they were so dug in on their position of, no, this is how we do it. If we have to wash our hands, it's gonna take more time, it's gonna take more energy, it's gonna take more effort, we're gonna to have to buy more soap, we're gonna to have to do all of these things. It's just crazy to think that we might have to do that. Well, Zemmelweis's ideas were not well received. So much so that based on the harsh treatment that he was given, he had a nervous breakdown and ended up in a mental institution. While he was in that mental institution, the guards beat him so severely that ironically, he died from the infections from his wounds. Now, when we look at this, the professor told us this story. He told us in dispute resolution because dispute resolution has not necessarily been openly accepted by the legal community. The legal community wants to continue the traditional method of doing things such as litigation. Well, what our professor said is he believes that someday alternative dispute resolution will be as well accepted, even though it's not now, as is the practice of washing our hands, first promulgated and proposed by Dr. Zimmelweis. Well, we may find it crazy to think that anybody would oppose that, but it happens all the time. People get so dug in on their positions that they lose sight of the overall interest. Well, this is what happens at church many times. So many times we as Christians can dig in on our positions of making sure that we adhere to the specifics of what I view as conflict resolution messages that Paul and others taught to the churches that were, with whom they were working and that were going through different sorts of conflicts and different sorts of struggles. He would provide them with details. Tell you what, here's how you should handle that situation. Here's how you should handle those circumstances. But what happens here at church sometimes is that we dig in so hard on, well, no, this is what it said, so this is exactly what it means in all circumstances. So much so that we oftentimes lose sight, we focus too much on church, we focus less on what we learned from Christ. You know, Paul recognized this even in, when he wrote his letter to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 17, if you pull up that slide, it said, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you are perfectly united in mind and thought. 
My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, which is Peter, still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I can't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of all its power. You know, rather than being so focused on trying to figure out the specifics, the specific rules on how to do everything, we need to embrace the teachings of Christ and focus on the spirit with which he taught us to approach things. What I propose is less church, more Christ. I told you that my message today is, is that we need to do things differently. Well, I think it's especially fitting that on the same day that we made the announcement that we were starting a vision committee about the vision for the future of Chenal Valley Church, just so happens that I'm speaking on the fact that I believe that we need to be a different kind of church. While some of you may be a little concerned about that, that I say we need to be a different kind of church and we need to do things a little bit differently, I would submit to you that Chenal Valley Church has always been a different type of church. From its very founding, some of you may remember this church was founded in 1989. And it was founded to be a different type of church. Fact is, if you look up the Articles of Incorporation at the Secretary of State's website for this church, it says Chenal Valley Church. It doesn't say Chenal Valley Church of Christ, it says Chenal Valley Church. Now, that was not an accident. That was intentional. Now, is this a Church of Christ? Yes. Is it meant to be a different type of Church of Christ? Absolutely. And I remember that that's what appealed to me. I wasn't here when it first started, but I came shortly thereafter. And one of the things that I loved about this church was that they weren't so stuck on doing things a certain way, and they didn't get so bogged down and say, no, we've got to follow this format. We've got to do things this way. We can only have certain people do certain things. No, this church was open to all sorts of people. It was open to people that had been divorced. It was open to people that had been shunned by other churches. It was open to members who were gay. It was open to members who didn't feel like they fit in at another Church of Christ. And because of that, this church thrived. That's what attracted me to this church, and it's what, part of what helps me stay at this church for as long as, I, as, long as you'll have me. But I look at it and I say, you know what? Yes, it's a different type of church. It wasn't started because there was a pressing need for another Church of Christ four miles from the biggest one in town. It was started because there was a need to share the gospel of Christ with people who were not receiving it elsewhere. And that's what I would suggest that we continue to do as part of this church as we look to do things differently. You know, I guess the sad part of it is that the fact that this church was open and accepting made it a different type of church. That's a sad part of this. Well, one of the hallmarks of the many lessons that we learn from Jesus is that he did things differently. He associated with people that others didn't. He approached issues differently than did other teachers of the law. He viewed people differently. He demonstrated how we should approach others, how we should approach conflict, how we should conduct ourselves. He gave value to others who did not receive value elsewhere. You know, recently we've, we've studied different scriptures with different stories. Just last week, I believe, or maybe the week before, we talked about Zacchaeus, a tax collector, who was not seen as somebody that teachers of the law or part of the religious set would have given any time to. 
but Jesus did because he gave people value. He gave them significance. You know, today, as always, people are struggling. People are struggling to find value. They're trying to find meaning. They're trying to find significance. What better place to find it than at church? You know, not too long ago, I was sitting in a meeting with a number of people, and I was talking about something, and I had mentioned the fact that I've been going to this church for 28 years now. And after that meeting, someone came up to me and they said, really, you've been going to this church that long? I said, yeah, I have. And they said, why? And I thought, wow, that, okay. That kind of hit me square, square between the eyes. And I said, well, you know, honestly, the, the reason I'm, I'm going here is because of the relationships. And I think that's a big part of it. But the more I've thought about that, I've thought there's a lot more to it than that. It's not just about the relationships. Sometimes people may not understand my devotion to, to something like this, but part of the reason I stayed at this church for so long is that I believe that this church saved my life. And I believe that because I've had a number of times over the course of my career, many times where things were not necessarily uh, running what they call a hot streak. I've had challenges. I've had times where I've suffered financial setbacks. I've searched, suffered personally in business. And I've had times where I've just been absolutely in the depths of despair, where I felt beaten down, where I felt like I had no value, where I felt like I was useless. This church gave me an opportunity to use my gifts, my skills, whatever those may be, and actually put me to work in the service of this church. That's part of what makes this a different church as well. You know, other churches, which if I hadn't been going to church for a certain number of years, or if I didn't have the right background, the right pedigree, the right family, I wouldn't have had those opportunities. But it's those opportunities that helped get me out of those darkest times and helped show me that I had value, that showed me that I could have an impact on other people. And I think that's what this church can do for anybody who is interested in doing things, who wants to have that same opportunity. But I fully recognize that part of the reason I had those opportunities is I'm male. I'm, you know, got a professional background. I know the right people. And, you know, truth be told, I'm probably a bit more assertive than other people. Where sometimes I may have just said, all right, you know what, I'm doing it. I'll ask forgiveness rather than ask for permission. But the challenge that we have in many instances is that those same opportunities that I credit with saving my life are not available to all members here at this church equally. And we've got to change that. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that we've made great strides in increasing the roles of women here at Chanel. And I think it's, it's something that is long overdue. I'm happy that we did that. But we've got to continue to work at it. You know, it's one thing to say we do that in theory, but it's another thing to do it in practice. We've got to have those opportunities for women to be involved, and it's not just women. There are men here that would like to be more involved, but we have not created an environment in many instances to give them those opportunities. We've got to create more opportunities. We've got to have more things to do. We've got to have different opportunities for people to get involved and use their gifts and talents that God gave them. You know, I mentioned earlier that it's especially fitting that my message today comes on the same day as the announcement about the vision committee and the work that they'll be doing. But in particular, there's one, there's one slide that Bruce shared with you this morning that I, I think is, is very valuable. And it's the fact that, first of all, this is not just people on the vision committee. This is going to be a congregational undertaking. 
It's not about what type of church do these 16 people want this to be. It's what type of church do we want this to be as we have been directed by God. And if you look right there, these three things where it talks about evangelism, diversity, discipleship. The thing that I'm most proud of right there is that those don't say we strictly adhere to the teachings to the early church. It says, no, Christ-like. It says we want to be like Christ. We are going to follow the example of Christ. We are going to include people. We are going to reach out to those who may not have been included otherwise. I'm very proud of that because it falls under the, what I say, less church, more Christ. You know, as we embark upon the challenge of casting a new vision for this church, there are a couple things that I can promise you. First, it's not going to be easy. It's going to require a lot of work. And second, we're going to make some mistakes. There are going to be more challenges ahead. There always are. That's part of what makes us grow. But personally, I think that those challenges and the fact that there's going to be work involved, I think that's actually exciting. You know, recently we've had these events where we're talking about the, the vision and casting that vision for the church, and we've looked back in time and said, what are some of the things that you remember about church that are so valuable, so important, that's so special to you? And two of the things that kept coming up, number one was VBS, our Vacation Bible School, and number two was family camp. Well, I got to tell you, those two things probably took more work than anything we've done here at church. But guess what? It was in that work. It was in working side by side with one another and getting to know one another and working towards a common purpose. And then at the end, seeing the smiles and looks on the faces of those children and seeing the impact and the difference that we made and the relationships that we were able to build that made it so special. Well, I think we also need to reevaluate how we measure success here at church. We need to start focusing less on quantity and more on quality. It's not as much of how many people showed up for something. Sometimes we get stuck into thinking, well, let's not do that. It's only going to attract three or four people. Well, you know what? To those three or four people, that makes a huge difference. To those three or four people, that may save their lives, it may change their lives. We've got to provide those opportunities. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was picking up dinner, and I ran into a couple, actually a family, who used to attend Chanel that have recently left. And, you know, I kind of started talking to, to the husband, the father, and, you know, he came over, and, and I said, well, hey, you know, how's it going? Good to see you all. I said, you know, where are you going to church? He said, well, you know, we haven't necessarily landed anywhere yet. And I said, well, just going to be honest with you, I kind of hope you land back at Chanel. And he just kind of hem-hauled around a little bit. And he said, yeah, you know, you never know. And I said, well, you don't, but I'm just letting you know I haven't given up on you. I'm still hoping you'll come back. And then as we were talking, his daughter ran over and gave me a big hug on my leg. And, she, and then she looked up at me with bright eyes and she said, we're not ever coming back to Chanel. <laughs> Tried to maintain my, my game face. And I said, well... Okay. I said, well, you know, actually, I'm talking to your dad about that right now. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that won't be the case. And then I was bracing. I mean, talk about a kick in the gut. She's going, what's next? So then she just kind of looked at me and she said, she just looked straight in my face. She said, I really, 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 really. And I was going, oh no, what's she going to say here? Really, really, really want to come back to Chanel, but my parents won't let me. And I said, you know what? I said, well, sweetie, we're working on that right now. That's what I'm, part of what I'm talking to your daddy about. I said, you never know. And then I looked at him and I said, 
oh yeah, there's my in, right? So I said, in, and he just kind of said, okay. But the point I'm making on that, I don't know if that family's ever going to come back. I hope they will, but if they don't, I hope they land at a good church and that they're teaching the Bible to their kids and, and they're raising their kids in, in the Lord. But if they don't come here, that, that's okay. Because what I want to make sure that we all recognize that that little girl, when she said, I really, 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 really want to come back, that doesn't just happen. It's because we were doing something right. We had an impact on that little girl's life, that she has positive memories about this church. That's the value of our work. It doesn't matter if there was anything in particular. It's just we impacted one person. That's why we're here, one person at a time, is to make that impact, to make a difference. And I'll tell you something else. It doesn't just make a difference in their lives. It makes a difference in our lives as well. You know, we can make a difference in people's lives here at Chanel, but we've got to do things differently. When Dr. Zimmelweis proposed making the changes in the childbirth process, he didn't say that we needed to change the whole process. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, okay, we need to bring, you know, all sorts of craziness into this church service. No, what he said was, we need to make some tweaks. We need to make some changes. And that can be hard. Sometimes when we're talking about making changes and doing things a little bit differently, it's not well received. It wasn't well received when Dr. Zimmelweis mentioned it. It wasn't well received when Jesus mentioned it. But what we have to focus on is the fact that people will put up resistance, but we've got to persevere. We've got to continue on because we are not here to please people. We're here to please God. And one of the things that we're looking to do is to make sure that we build an environment that attracts people, a place where people know that they can get plugged in, they can serve, they can be involved, and that they are viewed with value. They are viewed with significance. We've got to do things differently. We've got to be a church of Christ. Let's stand and sing.